0: Hi, and welcome back to Sharp Scratch. You're listening to episode 66, Lost in Translation. This is a podcast brought to you by the BMJ and sponsored by Medical Protection, where we bring together medical students, junior doctors, and expert guests who discuss all the things you need to know to be a good doctor, but that you might not get to in medical school. I'm Pat. I'm the editorial scholar here at the BMJ, and I'm also a medical student at anglo ruskin University. Today, I'm very excited to be joined by our regular panelists, Laura and Caudet. Laura, would you like to introduce yourself?
1: Hi, I'm Laura and I'm a foundation year one doctor in Hingingbrook Hospital near Cambridge.
0: Always nice to have you with us. And Kaideh, would you like to introduce yourself?
2: Hi, I'm Kayode. I am a final year medical student at the University of Dundee.
0: Great, nice to have you John.
2: Sunniest city in Scotland, I feel like I need
0: to say that. <laughs> it's your brand now. <laughs> yeah, nice to have you with us today. And I'm also delighted to introduce our expert guest today, uh, Dr June Keir. June, would you like to introduce yourself?
3: Hello, um, I, my name is Jun Kao, and I'm a professor in Korean Linguistics at the University of Oxford. Thank you so much for having me today. Yeah, thank you for joining us. So, as healthcare
0: professionals, we work with people from all walks of life and backgrounds, and sometimes language barrier is also a hurdle that we may encounter in clinical practice. So, for example, um, the UK is an incredibly diverse country. According to the last census in 2011, million people speak another language in England and Wales. And in Scotland, about 12% of people in major Scottish cities reported that they speak other languages in addition to English. And also 12% was reported in Northern Ireland. So just looking at the stats, um, Caraday and Laura, have you ever encountered a situation where the patient may need a little bit of help with English? Yeah,
1: I certainly have. We had in particular one patient who was with us for a long time on the ward who could speak another language in addition to quite rudimentary English. Which, was, uh, which made it very difficult to discuss the kind of complex things that we need to discuss with the patient. So, yeah, definitely uh, have encountered it since becoming a doctor too. How about you, Cody?
2: Um, yeah, I literally encountered, I had a situation like this. When was I working last? Not yesterday, <laughs> the day before. Um, and, um, yeah, it was really interesting. I, I, I don't know what language um, the patient spoke, but their partner came in to the room with them and was able to act as a translator um I unfortunately wasn't the person who was seeing that patient um so I don't I can't say I have personal experience of it um but it was sort of important to um bend the rules a wee bit to ensure that we were able to um communicate to that patient because where I was working it's only just the patient is allowed into the clinic, and no relatives or anything. But obviously, it made sense that if he can't, sp- if they can't speak very good English, you need someone in there who can actually speak their language, so we can actually help get them better. Really.
0: Mm-hmm. How about you, June? Um, were you ever asked to help a friend or relative to interpret at a a, a medical appointment?
3: Yeah, I think. Who- Maybe, you know, I I have some friends who also had difficulty to explaining symptoms and so on. So I've been with uh, friends a few times, but I think it's kind of really, you know, um, it's not, I guess, just about language, but it, you know, it's kind of more like, you know, also I have to translate somehow the cultural barriers too. So it's, you know, not like just information per se, but you know, I have to also communicate how she feels, you know, what information she doesn't want to share, and those things kind of quite subtle. And also, like, um, you know, she doesn't want the doctor to uh, share the information with the other family members and so on. So I think it's very subtle and uh, very sensitive. Uh, to translate uh, to help people and you know a lot of things probably you know very complex feelings and so on are very uh, difficult to understand and also difficult to translate and to to tell people Um, you know so I think it's kind of not easy job and kind of I think still I lived in UK 20 years but I kind of when I think about the patient-doctor relations, I very much so often think like doctor is someone who I should show respect and, you know, particular information I re- expect and his responses. Um, you know, I have some expectations and so on. So I think it's kind of very difficult to have very easy communication with the doctor myself too. Yeah, for sure.
0: And I think our population of medical students and doctors is pretty diverse and a lot of them are quite Um, also have language skills. So I talked to the medical student who talks about a time when she used her language skills on placement and her reflection upon it.
4: Um, So hello, my name is Victoria Ozarek and I'm a medical student at the University of Leeds. Um, I was born in Poland and moved to the United Kingdom when I was four years old. My first language is Polish um, and most of my childhood I attended both English school and Polish Saturday school. So being bilingual has been a great advantage for me during my work experiences before medical school um, and especially during my medical placements. Um, Doctors use words or specific medical terminology which is difficult for patients to understand. Um, Simple words such as we think is like, oh, so are you feeling nauseous? But I remember if I was a patient in that situation, I would be so confused. Um, I think that's why often um, patients just nod or they act like they know what's happening when in reality they did not fully understand what they were just asked especially if it's just a yes or no answer um at times even when i was translating i just had to make sure like they fully understood what i just said and they're not just nodding their head like yes i have difficulty brewing yes Um, I have stomach pain. So I think why I learn the most is always use simple language. You don't need to um, impress the patient. They already know you are a qualified doctor. You don't need to use these fancy words that they flex around in medical school. Um, The most important is make sure that the patient is aware of their condition, aware of what the further treatment has to be, especially when you're even talking to children like never mind adults children may not know even the simplest words so you have to like say like do you have tummy pain like show maybe even point to areas <laughs> simply like are you feeling tummy pain Show show the area of the tummy like instead of saying even fever just like do you have a high temperature are you feeling hot <laughs> simple as are you feeling hot yes or no Um, are you sweating yes or no instead of saying all these fancy medical words to confuse them and so I would always use simple words just to make your own life simple too if the patient understands your life is easier in the first place so yeah for sure always use simple terminology
3: yeah um what do you guys think I think this is really important, actually, Um, and many people, you know, um, you know, you come to the doctor and very often you don't come to see the doctor for small reasons. You need, you know, like um, you you go to the hospital to with some problems that you need to explain. But I guess, you know, many people don't have uh, the ability to explain in a very, you know, a way that uh, professional way. And also, like, I guess, you know, when you are not well, Uh, you know, speaking foreign language, you need, need a lot of energy and you need concentration and so on. When you're not well, you have no mental power to think, compose, find words. And, you know, Basically, you're not well, you you want them to understand you. and uh, But don't, as a doctor, you need to kind of find the answers for particular, uh, you know, important questions uh, to be able to help the patients. And I'm kind of thinking whether, um, and you know, what Pat said, that given that our population is not, you know, as you can see, like so multilingual, multicultural, I wonder whether, um, you know, the, uh, what you said about using um, Easy, simple words. I think it's very important. But also, when in a communication, um, any communication, actually, the verbal part is important, but non-verbal part is also very important. So I think um, if doctors learn, you know, a very important gesture, non-verbal expressions, then not just for English um, audience alone, but kind of non-verbal gestures uh, across the culture, cross-cultural non-verbal gestures, that could be really helpful. For example, like you know, to show the sympathy and so on. But also to kind of um, well, how do people, um, um, you know, use their hand gestures to show their pain and so on and so forth? I really
1: like that Victoria gave specific examples of where she's heard people use, like, where, of, of very simple, clear English, you know, that uh, just the simple example of, you know, say, using the word feverish is far more specific than saying, do you feel hot, which is a word that uh, somebody who's learned English as a second language is far more likely to know, No sooner, anyway. Um and I know, yeah, we've already had conversations about jargon before, but, you know, there's, you just hear examples of it every single day. Uh, today I heard, yesterday, sorry, I heard a, a, a doctor ask a patient to digitate the area every day. And it took me a couple of moments. To I don't even know what that, that
0: means. <laughs> that he meant
1: press with your fingers. <laughs> mm. but yeah. oh, <laughs> <laughs> that made me laugh in the corner of the room. Um <laughs> But um, but that you know that's that's even even with even British speakers will have difficulty with jargon. But you know when when it comes to uh, people who've learnt English as a second language, there's I mean I can hear from Victoria's examples that there's definitely areas where I can go even simpler to use sort of more basic words that people are more likely to learn sooner.
0: Yeah, so. As we were talking about, um, you know, we all mentioned um, getting a friend or family member to interpret or, as we said, using AI or apps to translate. So I was just uh, looking at what the GMC says. So the GMC um, says that in their good medical practice document that you must give patients the information that they want or need to know in a way that they can understand. And you should do that by making arrangements whenever possible to meet the patient's language or communication needs. Um, and I think the gold standard is interpreters. Um, have you guys ever used interpreters, um, in a consultation?
1: Yes. Yeah. So I, when we had, um, uh, this patient who had had quite a long stay, we had to use translators regularly and it was done a bit differently To I've worked in bigger hospitals where common languages are, sort of available on site on call almost or, or to be booked in advance if someone's coming to clinic for example like for an appointment um, but in the hospital where I currently work it's a lot smaller and uh, if you want to access an interpreter you have to go online effectively to uh, you have to call um, a I don't know a specific medical translator hotline and there's people on call available in all kinds of languages um, which is extremely practical uh, until of course technology fails you but that is Literally a pre already existing entire episode of Sharp Scratch talking about the technology in the NHS. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> uh, but we had um, yeah. So we had every day, every other day, uh, a translator speaking with the patient. Particularly importantly, because there was uh, we we had to do lots of uh, assessments of capacity for decisions that were happening daily at first, and then less frequently um, as as the patient got better. But then, you know, that's obviously such when when you talk about capacity, uh, a language barrier takes away someone's capacity because they're unable to communicate their decisions and they're unable to demonstrate to you that they've understood and retained and can weigh the information so that that would fail a a, a mental capacity assessment. And you have to give people the best opportunity, the most opportunity possible, you know, legally, ethically, you have to give people the best chance to demonstrate capacity for, for the decisions that uh, they, they need to make while in your care so yeah we're often on the phone to them
3: um, if I'm adding just one thing um, mm. of course having the translator on us uh, ready to help you interpreter who is ready to help you is so great but very often I think it, you know you have to make decision very quickly or you don't you know have the translator um, you know this country has so much linguistic diversity so you don't really and uh, when you kind of think about Chinese or Arabic, you know, the different Arabic speakers speak different languages. And Mm -hmm. so kind of wonder, I always wondered whether, you know, it's not, you know, medical school should have sort of some kind of a glossary where, which has like a image description and multilingual Mm -hmm. like explanation. It doesn't have to be very specific, but if doctor could bring a book, a glossary and, you know, Mm -hmm. with her um, description uh, that she can understand in her own language Mm -hmm. could be really helpful. And then Later, we can um, sort of um, you know, rely on human resources. Five of the most spoken languages in the UK are Asian languages plus Polish languages. But uh, you know, most of the time, you just don't see any, anything uh, like that. So I kind of wonder whether you know, something like that would be very helpful for, uh, as a resource for doctors uh, in the UK.
1: Mm. I mean, you picked on something there which is super helpful when the, the, there are so many languages among the staff in the NHS as well. So uh, when the iPad wasn't working for our, to be able to access the interpreter, we once had uh, an allied uh, health professional uh, from a different department was able to come over and just quickly ask some questions. Um, and another time, another another Foundation Year One doctor was able to come over and, and do, some, do something in a sort of very urgent situation. Uh, you know, the, the patient wanted to leave, was not speaking any English, and we, we weren't sure whether the patient was... Making any sense in their first language either, which is what we, what you know one in one in one, one of those occasions uh, the the native speaker was able to tell us that the patient wasn't making any sense in their first language, uh, which in turn really helps in terms of being able to assess capacity and so on just that little marker so yeah, first of all it's really helpful that there's so many languages amongst NHS staff and the other thing is that you know in terms of this uh, this idea of a glossary. We already have like a sort of a really rudimentary translator in our phones. Uh, Obviously, Google Translate is really unreliable. And and I don't think the GMC advises it because it's not, yeah, it's not reliable enough for the kind of things you have to do. But I I do sometimes like to use it because you can make it talk as well, which is really nice. You can make the Google Translate talk in your phone, which can be really helpful if you Mm -hmm. want to if you want Mm -hmm. to say to someone who with whom you haven't got much communication, "I'm, I'm going to examine you, please and you know Mm. where where you can get um implicit consent by your actions and so on but it can always be be polite increase rapport if you can just use one phrase make your phone talk Mm. sort of thing just to gain a bit more
0: that rapport yes yeah definitely i think um talking about using healthcare professionals or the existing human resources that we have on our wards um or hospitals to help with languages but, but do you think um sometimes that could take away the professional boundaries um for example i i was a medical student on placement and i helped to interpret between uh, a chinese speaking patient um and the doctor and yeah that whole consultation was fine but after that um the patient asked for my number and whether i could you know help with like future consultations and things like that and obviously i said like like no sorry um <laughs> like i understand that i would like to help but um that wouldn't be right and i'm a professional um yeah so just wondering what do you guys think about using healthcare professionals uh to interpret um
2: that's something i was wanting to like touch on because i because I, I do think it's um like obviously in emergency situations like you can you, like it makes sense to just get someone anyone who can um speak that language to help as a translator but ultimately you are pulling them away from what their actual job mm-hmm. is um and um i know everyone always talks about like oh the nhs is um works based on goodwill and which is great great that we that we work with many many wonderful and nice people but ultimately we should be pushing to ensure that these language services are as robust as possible. Um, like you pat you're a medical student, but rather than you learning medicine, you were doing service delivery and um translating, being a translator when that is not your job. You weren't I doubt you were paid for that 15 minute consultation. Like your bank account is not looking any healthier as a result of it.
5: Um,
2: So I I, I do think it's it's super important that um, we challenge these situations when they arise and say, no, this is, um, I would do it this one time, but um, because it's an emergency, otherwise, no, (laughs) it's not. No. Then again, I don't speak any other languages, so I'm a bit useless. Who knows?
3: No. <laughs> <laughs> I think what you said really uh, is important because otherwise you'll be so busy doing your own job and then plus translation. If you're particularly speaking a language that is so much in need, then you will do both jobs in the same time. You'll be so busy, and then kind of again makes me wonder whether we can uh, think about some sort of chatbot, like um, you know. AI which we can rely on uh, based on very much big data and, you know, multilingual resources. I think uh, if it, you know, is well-approved, that will be an enormous help for our situation, I think, yeah. Mm. For sure. Yeah, so, um,
0: yeah, we'll discuss a little bit more about interpreters and the language services that we can use, but they'll be right after this.
6: Indemnity. You've probably not given it much thought, but it won't be long until the risk of claims and patient complaints becomes all too real. Whatever lies ahead, you need experts in your corner who offer indemnity and a whole lot more. That's why it pays to be with medical protection. There's our free membership during your medical school years, our wealth of training resources to help you become the best doctor you can be, and our international experience that protects you during your elective, no matter how far from home you end up. In fact, there are many reasons why our members worldwide trust us to support and protect them throughout their careers. And if you're looking for one more, every week one lucky new joiner wins £183. That's the average student weekly spend. Just join for free and you're automatically entered into the draw. That's why UK medical students choose to be part of Medical Protection. You can't blame them, so why not join them? Visit medicalprotection.org to find out more.
0: OK, back to the show. Uh, so as we alluded to, um, I think using the me- a medical interpreter is a gold standard in situations where the patient may need a little bit help with English. Um, so I spoke with a medical interpreter who interprets Chinese at a hospital, and she provided some insight when she was doing her role.
7: Um, I think the reason why you need an interpreter, sometimes it's language barrier. Sometimes it's just like you want someone to know their culture to explain things that in their language, quote-unquote, if you know what I mean. Um, a lot of patients, they probably don't speak one language, that's English, but doesn't mean they're stupid or they, they don't know what is happening. They will know. So um, it, it, it's not like a, like a sophisticated science. If you study marketing or psychology or anything, they will tell you the communication, like the message delivery, mostly is from your facial expression and your gesture rather than the word that you are using. So language is not pay, not playing the majority part of it. And I think in the medical field or you interact with patients, the... Um, the psychological attach them um, the the factor will help the situation more than actual medication you prescribe to them. They need to listen to you. They need to trust you. They need to have faith in you. And you just don't don't um, underestimate the power of look in the patient's eye and ask them how are you doing today. It 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 really makes it. Huge difference. I I still like. uh, I know I know a lot of people have a very strong stance of having an interpreter in the room. You know, it's like a you know a slap in the face of my language skills or my education level, and I hope that people don't stigmatize this piece of service because um, we are here to moderate or soothe the atmosphere in that exam room and so don't don't stigmatize to have a surface like this and as i said i don't i don't think i speak perfect either english or chinese and um but i'm here to help to bridge the difference because i'm not attached to anyone i i am individuals and i'm not helping either the provider i'm I'm not taking side either to the provider or the patient. So you would like to have that third party in the room to help you to deliver that message.
0: Yeah, so the interpreter shared some of of the insights that um, she gathered from doing her role. So what do you guys think?
2: like as she was talking I just realized that I am a liar and I have encountered many 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 patients (laughs) um who have needed needed a translator but I don't know why it all just completely slipped my mind Mm. um but what I wanted to touch on again is like I guess the cultural aspects of things I think that is so important because a couple of months ago um the ward I was working on had a difficult patients, but the person was just from South London. Um and <laughs> I, I I just think people just didn't understand them very well. Mm. And there were like there was like lots of stuff written in the notes about the person and I was just a bit like this sounds very South London. When to go speak to them, very South London. I was like, okay, I get you, okay, I understand what you are saying. The words you are using is not the same as the words that people in Dundee will use. Mm. So everything you say comes across as a bit more aggressive than you are intending. So I had to explain that to that, to that person and tell them, okay, um, the Dundonians speak very different here. So maybe let's think about tweaking what we're saying a little bit. And also having to explain to the, um, in the medical team that, um, this is just South London. This is just how we talk. It's actually not violent or aggressive. Like it's fine. And yeah, cultural understanding is very very important um where I'm from we are just very very straight to the Mm. point and where I am right now people Mm. aren't very straight to the point so yeah
3: I, I think that's really interesting. I mean, you, you see the difference between London and Dundee, but I also think that more di- kind of, you know, bigger difference you can find from maybe, you know, from people from different culture. So kind of like, you know, more or less, you always, doctor is there always to kind of encourage you, comfort you, but then um, very often we, um, uh, we were interpreting his facial expressions. So if he was kind of more smiley, we thought that he's, the treatment is going well. If feels was not Somali, we thought that something is going wrong. We always kind of so that, that was back in Korea where, you know, even if you're speaking the same language. But now, you know, in, in England I also found I did the same. I found myself do the same thing when I my father-in-law who passed away a few years ago. That was a cancer, but you know the doctor came and you know you was smiling and it was very good and I was very happy. But somehow I interpreted his smile again like something good is coming. <laughs> At the end, it wasn't you know he was not well, but I kind of felt like a, a bit betrayed because I thought he was, it was very um smiley and goo. So I thought, oh, good news is coming along. So I think it's something like maybe Asian people or people from different cultures who can't really understand the verbal message or would understand, uh, interpret uh, the, the situation based on doctor's facial expressions and so on. So I think it's something um, I, I found interesting, um, you know, um, my, my in my base, my personal experience.
1: Yeah, there's something that Candy touched on, was the power of looking in someone's eyes and saying how are you, and I think that's something that we don't necessarily get a lot of training in 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 hospital in 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 clinical settings. But even when you have an interpreter there, best practice is to continue looking at the patient and speaking to the patient. even whilst you're waiting for the interpreter to finish translating and so on, uh, so that they still get the sense that you're talking to them and listening to them. You know, all your active listening skills are really helped with, um, you know, sort of active listening and eye contact and so on. Um, and that doesn't go away just because you've got an interpreter in the room, although it can be really instinctive to turn to the interpreter, to talk to them and to listen to the interpreter as well. And to and for both patient and um, provider to be speaking to this third party when um, actually it, it can be more effective for communication to be, for the patient and uh, provider to be looking at each other and, and speaking towards each other? I,
3: I think eye contact is very important. And But also maybe if I can add something from through mm-hmm. Asian side, um, mm-hmm. many in Asian cultures, like looking at someone's eye direct, considered as something, uh, you know, mm-hmm. Uh, rude rather than polite. Mm-hmm. So I think mm-hmm. probably, although the patients want to look at the, uh, the doctor, because doctor in Asian culture is considered someone who is superior to you, so you should respect to uh, show respect rather than an equal position. So I think sort of many patients mm-hmm. uh, in the, with their good heart would not look at doctor's eyes directly, not as because they mm-hmm. are unengaged, because to show some kind of respect. So I think that's mm-hmm. something I also wanted to uh, from yeah. Asian angle, so they're not looking at you but it's not like they're not interested in you but they want to show you some kind of respect by not looking at you directly and think that's thanks, one.
1: thanks June that's really helpful <laughs>
3: thanks,
1: that's that's new me you. Too. that's helpful
2: thank you like that's something I've had to learn how to fake eye contact so I, d- <laughs> I just start looking at people's foreheads mm. and people think I'm looking giving them eye contact is it because tr- eye contact makes me so uncomfortable mm. so I was like I'm going to look at your forehead because this is what society tells me I'm meant to do. <laughs> give you eye
0: contact. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to be like too intense and staring into their eyes. I think your forehead yeah. is a good distraction.
3: Yeah, one more thing is like, you know, not like talking too much. Again, like being quiet and silent from a uh, patient's perspective from many Asian cultural considered as good things. So you, you kind of tr- trust your doctor, so you will do whatever your doctor uh, test you. So kind of interactional dimension is quite poor in uh, patient, uh, patient-to-doctor relation in many Asian countries, Asian places. So I think you're not like, a, you don't think how you are interacting with doctor, but you kind of more expect, you are told what to do, you expect what to do. So I think probably again, like, um, you know, you may have been um, discouraged for lack of communication. I think that's language probably is one thing, but another aspect is like, you know, you the patient expectation itself is probably like you do what you are told to do but not much yeah. questions or
2: <laughs> yeah I, I think i think that's really really interesting so um because i would say in the in the uk there there is that sort of divide as well even in like in terms of generations so i, I would say the younger generation are um, wanting to be um be having conversations with their doctors, whereas this again this is a very sweeping generalization. Whereas the older generation are more um, willing to just let their doctor tell them this is wrong with me, wrong with you, and this is what you need. Then um, this is what you need to get better. So I I think one of the great joys of being a South London boy, whoop whoop, is growing up in a very multicultural area. So. I guess I'm sort of used to seeing people from different cultures and countries and getting older I didn't realise this wasn't the case for everyone because that was just my normal and my normal has just sort of taught me to just accept people at face value Um, and you don't necessarily need to understand why, why people act in certain ways as long as it's not harming anyone it doesn't really matter just accept that this is the way they are this is the way they communicate and sort of adapt yourself to their style of communication which is something i'm really really grateful um for growing up and going to the school that i went to just used to seeing people who are from everywhere people who didn't quite speak english as well and being in class with them like that that was just my normal growing up so um, I guess tips when you docs: go to school in South London, it's fantastic <laughs> to develop cultural awareness. Yeah, I I
0: agree. I was, well, I mean, I went to school in Southwest London, so not that far away from South London. But yeah, I agree with you. And I think with languages, they kind of shape how, you've, how you express things, how you perceive things as well. Yeah, well, we'll continue to discuss a little bit more about the tools that we can use for translation, but that'll be right after this.
5: As you take on additional responsibility for your patient's care, UpToDate can be your trusted personal medical consultant. UpToDate is an online, continuously updated clinical decision support resource used by doctors, medical students and doctors in training worldwide to access current, evidence-based information at the point of care. Doctors at all levels of experience rely on UpToDate for trusted answers to their clinical questions. See how UpToDate can benefit your training and subscribe today by visiting gold.uptodate.com sharp. That's gold.uptodate.com sharp. And use promo code sharp to save 25 US dollars on your annual or longer subscription. Some of life's most important questions are about health. And when people think about healthcare, they think about doctors, scans, tests and treatments. At Siemens Healthineers, we think about those too. With about 70% of clinical decisions based on laboratory test results, staying on top of the latest advances in clinical chemistry is essential to providing the best care. This November, Siemens Healthineers has free online educational sessions to help you learn about relevant advances in clinical diagnostics. Register for free today to explore sessions featuring new research and innovations, in cardiac care, blood diseases and AI and create an agenda for live streaming events visit siemens-healthinears.com slash Euromed or google Siemens Healthineers Euromed Lab we pioneer breakthroughs in healthcare for everyone, everywhere
0: Okay, back to the show uh, so, we all know that using an interpreter, which is the gold standard, may not be feasible in a fast paced clinical environment that we work in. And a lot of healthcare professionals are very savvy and very adaptive to the environment. So, you know, such as using Google Translate, as you guys alluded to earlier, or using family members um, or other healthcare professionals that we, like we talked about. Yeah, so have you ever, ever used Google Translate in a consultation or seen someone using Google Translate?
1: I'm, I'm really nervous about using Google Translate because uh, I speak a few other languages and not particularly well. So when I'm writing uh, messages to my family or whatever, I'll, I'll often use Google Translate just to help me find p- vocabulary. And then my existing knowledge is enough to help me know whether it's the word I was looking for. Um, and so from doing that, I know how often it it misses the gist or, or misses... Uh, or provides you with, um, a word that is a, is an accurate translation, but is not, I don't know, you know how, how in English, some words have multiple meanings. So Google Translate doesn't really easily account for that. Um, and so, um, and so because of my experience with it in my personal life, I'm very nervous about using it in my professional life. So I would only use it to say, I've only ever used it in clinical practice to say things that are not necessarily essential to care or essential for the patient to understand. But are simply like a greeting or a good morning or may I examine you, please? Something like this. Something that I can also communicate with my body if it doesn't, if it's not <laughs> quite, if I, you know, if I, if it's if, it if it's gone a bit wrong, you know. But if, as soon as it comes to being able to ask important questions, then I'd be very nervous about using it.
2: I one thousand percent agree with you, Laura. Um, yeah, I'm not really. This is a hot take. I think using Google Translate um is a bit negligent. Um <laughs> um very strong opinion. I just think if you are if you are going to be seeing a patient who doesn't speak English and we know and there are translation there are translation services available, why aren't you using it? Why aren't you using the things that are that are available? Um like, I am aware that wards and clinical practice gets super busy and you may not have time to call the language line. Well, maybe that is something that we need to reflect on and on, on why the language line isn't so accessible. I think when we start cutting corners, it sort of says that, oh, actually, it's actually OK to use Google Translate. And um, I don't speak any other languages, again, because I'm useless, but... One thing I do know from both my parents speak in two different languages and um, having lots of friends who speak multiple languages is a language is not just words. Um, a language is an entire culture. It's an entire context. Everything has to be put into context. So Google Translate cannot do that at all. So when you're just translating things word for word, half the time it doesn't make sense the last time i used google translate um to try and translate things was when i was in year eight doing my french homework (laughs) and my french teacher just looked at me and said what is this and i was like sorry miss whoops Um, and i never did it again and i learned my lesson so i don't i don't understand if a 13 year old would not use it for their homework why should a clinician Mm. be using it in clinical practice
1: i mean you make a point right like i think it's a risks benefits kind of analysis like you should only use google translate for very low risk statements but if you needed to use it for something more serious you've got to balance it up with is it actually impractical to wait five ten minutes to be able to access the translator via phone or or via internet or in person um is it is it worth the risk and there Mm. might be situations in which you need answers so immediately or you know like for example in my hospital the internet was down for three hours and it might be that you need an, you know, I know it was, uh, it was uh, fun, interesting, <laughs> <laughs> scary. <laughs> anyway, um, you know, there, there are, there might be situations in which the benefits of using Google Translate right now, instead of in three hours time outweigh the risks mm-hmm. of using Google Translate. So there might be those kind of circumstances, yeah. but most of the time those benefits would not outweigh. And then you are adding risk into the consultation in a way that disproportionately affects people who don't speak English as a first language. And so it's not only necessarily a safety issue, but also uh, an equity issue
2: in terms of clinical practice. Lara said a lot more diplomatic than I can. (laughs) I
3: I think there should be some kind of protocol or sort of the manual, like, you know, which part of the communication one can rely on AI, which part you should Mm. kind of more rely on human resources. Because I think at the moment, like, there's no such things. But um, I think sort of manual like that would be very helpful. But also, I think that Google Translate not only, um, you know, Interprets both, so it produces the sentences that they want Mm -hmm. to, you know, uh, use. But I know, mean, I know Google Translate has developed quite a lot for the last few years because of the big data they collected. But most research and the books and multilingualism studies and manuals all done mainly on Western European languages and, you know, and so on. So I think it's kind of their big mismatch that, well, the needs is more like, you know, um, the population who is non-Western European, but then the materials or the resources are mostly on Western European multilingual is multicultural. so the two needs, I think, don't really match at the moment. So we need more work on non-European um, languages and culture um, and bring them into the curriculum, I guess.
0: I think we all mentioned that using a family member or a relative in consultation. Um, I mean, uh, so personally, I so I speak another language, and um, I've helped my mom to interpret um, a consultation before. I was just wondering if you've ever like used a family member or relative in a consultation because you know you couldn't get a language service on the line. I've, I've seen it before. How are um, you, Cody?
2: I'm still quite very very junior in my medical career, so. I- I wouldn't have as much experience, but each just running through my mind to make sure I don't lie again. <laughs> um, each patient that has needed a translator that I've seen has always, the translator always been a family member. I obviously I know that in Dundee, we do have translators because I've got friends who work mm. as translators <laughs> and they do shifts and they've had to translate for people, but I've just never encountered a translator mm which is weird
1: i've seen it i've seen it done like like Cody says i've seen it with people coming with their relative into the clinic room um i've seen it even more so in gp because i I think with clinics sometimes with the booking system you can say in advance we need a an interpreter at this time whereas in gp uh you might not know that someone would benefit from an interpreter until they're in the room and then the appointment is supposed to be 10 minutes and you have to sort of make a really quick snap decision right do i rely on the relative or do i get an interpreter regardless when there's a relative right here um but it's uh yeah i'm sure pat you can probably tell us more about this but it's a challenge isn't it when when relatives are translating like i know you know my 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 parents speak english but i would i would die if i had to go with my parents to the gp for some kind of sexual health problem like i i would <laughs> that's a uh, that's hard work for everyone involved so um you know never mind when it comes to topic areas where there's more expertise needed so for example breaking bad news or you know other sort of specialist communication skills that come with healthcare, where interpreters might have a bit more training or experience in those in translating well in those kind of situations than relatives who of course I don't you know I don't know how to like account for the fact that family members will know the patient much better and be able to have some kind of Advantage there in in, in communication and, and no, and we'll probably have done this multiple times. So, not discount that experience at all. Yeah,
2: because cause I because it just reminded me of a scenario um, with breaking bad news, um, and it was the patient's sister in law that was acting as a translator, and it was, I remember being in the room and the doctor giving the bad news and seeing the sister in law's face drop. And just sort of realized, oh, she really shouldn't she doesn't look very comfortable in the situation, and she doesn't want to be the person who's telling the patient's giving the patient this bad news so yeah it's it's a difficult one because i'cause I, I think the sister in law was very very happy to um be going along to all the consultations um so this this was in an um obstetric setting and was very happy to be that supportive person. But I think that one moment when it was bad news, I can't, she didn't look happy at all. And it was unpleasant for me and I'm just a fly on the wall. So I can't imagine how she was feeling and then having to be the person who gives that news over.
1: Yeah, Yeah, not to mention the additional concern as the person breaking the bad news, is that when you've got an interpreter, you know that they've got a professional duty to interpret accurately, whereas um, a, a relative is not accountable in the same way. And if, if you don't speak the patient's language at all, you have no way of knowing if the interpreter has broken that bad news at all. Um, you know, for example, as you, as you say, June, if, if um, back in career, uh, it's more common to uh, not name bad news directly, then it may very well be possible that a relative would say something completely different so as to not have to break the news to their loved one, um, you know, in, in the interest of, you know, the best interest at heart, wanting to protect their loved one. Um, but then as the as the provider, you, you just got no way of knowing whether you are communicating effectively um, via via the family member.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, family members could give you their own version of the events and, like, you know, skewing the consultation. And I think... Um, Going back to Kaya's example, I think other than like obstetric situation, I imagine other situation where you know safeguarding and confidentiality could come into place. Like is using the family member really the best practice, given even there's no resources available?
3: And I experienced one case when with my my friend, uh, she was um you know she was older than me, but. Um, I think she find it uh, I went there with her to help um, you know her consultation but then I realized that she didn't find it comfortable to talk about particular things to me she could have done it to the doctor without problem if her language is good but she didn't want to share uh, you know her every detail with me Mm -hmm. so I I think that was um, and I kind of sensed that so and then I kind of couldn't really push her like please say that you know, not for me, for the doctor, but because she, cause she I, I sensed that she didn't really feel comfortable with me uh, sharing that and her more private uh, information. So I think, kind of, uh, translate interpreter, sort of family or friends based interpreter, some good points, but also there could be some, you know, um, negative side as well. Mm.
2: Yeah, this conversation has given me lots of food for thought. Like, I, I don't know, I, I'm, I'm more inclined to just always attempt to get a translator as default unless the patient says no because i completely i completely forgot about that situation and yeah it's a very and like the situation that you've just described as well it's very Mm. difficult
0: there are so many pitfalls yeah definitely um well so before we end this episode any any final parting words i just want to say
1: thank you june for your for your insights it's been really interesting to hear from you and and really helpful as well
2: i Um, learned
3: so much too thank you (laughs)
2: i just i want to say the same thing as well i i i I do oh, i'm gonna get sucked oh. <laughs> but but i i i do love doing these episodes and stuff because it, it does i i do i i do feel um i am leaving with a bit more knowledge and um a good amount of reflection about like um how i can change my clinical practice even though i haven't really yeah. started so yeah thank you so much Drew.
0: yeah yeah thank you for joining us today well that's all we have time for today if you'd like to hear other episodes please subscribe to sharp scratch wherever you get your podcasts and in two weeks time you'll be notified of our next episode while you wait for the next one, do check us out on social media. We are BMJ Student on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Let us know what you think about the podcast using the hashtag Scratch. I'd love to hear your ideas for what we should cover later in the season. It's, al- it's also really helpful to us if you can leave a rating and a review on wherever you get your podcasts, as it helps other students to find a show. Until then, it's goodbye from us. Bye. Goodbye. goodbye.
7: goodbye.